Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, let me, let me turn serious now and start the message with a question for you. What is your definition of a successful life? Your definition of a successful life. In the just-completed Olympics, Caleb Dressel won five gold medals in swimming. Does that make his life successful? Elon Musk owns Tesla as well as SpaceX, and his net worth is in excess of $162 billion. Does he have a successful life? Walt Disney won 26 Academy Awards and built a a media and theme park empire before he died. Did he live a successful life? Well, by the standards of American culture, they and many others would be considered eminently successful. But what we are learning in our study of God's Word is that the criteria for success in the kingdom of God is quite different than the culture's. And it's always been that way. It's not a modern phenomenon. Uh, In the first century, Jews had certain identifications and accomplishments in their religion that set them apart and above their peers. And when it came to those criteria among first century Jews, there was no one more accomplished or more esteemed than the Pharisee named Saul. And in his letter to the Philippian church that we have in our New Testament as the book of Philippians, he recounts that old life and his accomplishments, his resume, if you will. In Philippians 3, beginning with verse 5, Paul remembers, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. That was the the signal mark of a Jewish male of identification. He went on, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, that is keeping the law, I obeyed the law without fault. Saul is remembering, he's recounting, he was at the apex of power and prestige in Jewish life for a a Jewish man until something changed everything. If you were with us last week or you're familiar with the story of the conversion of Saul who had come to be known as Paul, you will remember that he had a divine encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that not only did he become that day a Christ follower, he became a dynamic, catalytic missionary and church planter in the early church. You see, when Paul became a Christ follower, everything in his life changed, including his definition of success in life. He explains that beginning in verse 7, talking about those things that that he had just mentioned in verses 5 and 6. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now 
I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. He no longer was an enemy of Christ and the gospel, but he had become an instrument in God's hands, an instrument that God would use to change lives and plant churches and begin a movement that is still alive and well 20 centuries later. It's known as the church. And Paul learned what every Christ follower needs to know. It's our big idea for the day. It's the sermon in a sentence. Here it is. There is nothing better than being used by God. There is nothing better. So let's open the curtain to the narrative of Paul's life. Let's go back to the time following his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road when he fell to the ground and was blinded and then had to be led by the hand back into Damascus. And the Lord speaks to one of his followers and tells him what to do regarding this man who had been the violent enemy of all of those who followed Christ. Let's begin the narrative in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. The Lord is speaking to Ananias. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. In other words, he was saying, Paul was called to a life of service a life of sacrifice, a life of suffering. And by the way, fellow Christ followers, brothers and sisters, so are we. So are we. If you've heard me preach in recent months, you probably have heard me say in another message, when you come into God's family, you have not joined a country club. You've enlisted in an army an army of the Lord's warriors that's not fighting against people. I remember the old King James says, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the evil spirit of Satan and his minions. And the reality is, and I'll give you some pretty hard truth as we look at Paul's life, the reality is sometimes the Lord's soldiers are wounded in battle. Sometimes it's a hard battle, but we never surrender. Here's how Paul said it in one of his letters, this time to the Corinthian church, the letter that we call 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. Look at his words here. He says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get not down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, 
our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Now this is not something that's necessarily popular to teach. That didn't just make you shiver with warm fuzzies, did it? And in fact, a message that's quite different is very popular in our culture today. A message that says if you come to Jesus, then He promises you ease, He promises you wealth, He promises you health. In fact, teaching that continually focuses only on what God can do for you is selling a narcissistic brand of Christianity that is not New Testament. Now, let's be honest. Is there an abundance of blessings and benefits and joy that comes with being Christ followers? You better say amen. Amen. There is. There is no better life than being a follower of Jesus. But if you are looking for a God that is a year-round Santa Claus or a genie in a bottle, that is not the God of the Bible. Because we are called to serve Him. He is not called to serve us. We are to serve Him. We become His children, His soldiers in the battle. And the Apostle Paul understood this. When he began his ministry, which we're about to see, he didn't begin by asking what the salary and benefits package was. He began preaching The gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back to the narrative with me in Acts 9. Begin with the middle of verse 19. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Verse 22. Don't miss this. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Now, I I don't want you to miss the beginning of verse 22. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. Where did that power come from? I mean, how could he be transformed from a violent, obsessed enemy of the church to a dynamic powerful evangelist in a matter of days. How could that happen? Well, let me tell you how it didn't happen. Paul was not successful in his mission merely because he had great intellect or speaking ability. That wasn't the cause. He had something, actually someone, that every Christ follower needs. He was successful because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit on His life, on His message, and on His teaching. Do you remember the words that Ananias said over Saul when he went to 
to see him that day when he was afraid that he was still that, that great persecutor. Let me take you back to the 17th verse in Acts 9. Remember this scene. Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. By the way, don't miss that. It's not persecutor Saul. It's not Pharisee Saul. It is now brother Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight. Now look, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that wasn't something that was to be unique to Saul who would become Paul. As a matter of fact, it's true for every one of us who have stepped across the line of faith to become Christ's followers. You and I cannot be successful in our witness as Christ's followers unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just back up and give you a little history. Some of you, like me, grew up Baptist. How many of you grew up Baptist? Let me, yeah, a whole bunch of, God bless you, a uh, whole, whole bunch of you. I remember in my growing up years, which was mainly the 1960s, Baptists were absolutely terrified of the Holy Spirit. We were. Why? Because the charismatic movement had started. Started out in, in California, Okay, I'm not going there. Uh, and, and just swept across the country. And we were afraid of the charismatic movement because those people were speaking in tongues and in some of their worship services, they were getting up and running around the building and they were coming on stage and somebody put their hand on them and they'd fall on the floor. That scared us to death. If that was the Holy Spirit, we just weren't sure we should even talk about Him. Now, let me just say, there is still teaching today that we would not find theological agreement with. There are some that still teach that speaking in tongues is the signal evidence of the filling of the Spirit. And there are others that teach that unless you speak in tongues, you're not even a Christian. You can't be saved without speaking in tongues. We respect those brothers and sisters, but we believe they are in theological error on that. We love them, but we believe that they're wrong. Now, I want you to know I'm not one of those who says uh, all of the sign gifts pa have passed away. None of them are in evidence anywhere in the body of Christ today. I, I just don't find clear biblical evidence for that. I do believe all the gifts are still in operation. But here's what I know about the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of tongues. It Every gift, including that one, is to build up the church, to bring unity in the church. And I believe there are some churches that exercise that gift in clear adherence to the teaching of Paul in 1 Corinthians, and there's a place for that in their church, and it builds their church. I think if one of you stood up in the middle of my sermon and started speaking in tongues, it would not bring unity to the church. And so I believe that there are churches in which that's not a, a part of their corporate worship. There may be some who have that gift in their own private worship life, and that's between you and the Lord. But here's what I know to be true from Scripture. 
the way to know if somebody is filled with the Spirit is they show the fruit of the Spirit in their life. The fruit of the Spirit is that which grows from being filled with the Spirit. If someone is filled with the Spirit, they're going to have Christ-like character and behavior in their life. They're going to have a passion for the things of God. They're going to love the Word of God and take it seriously, not just as a theological book to study, but a guide to live by. And they're going to have great power in their life if they are filled with the Spirit. That's what I want, don't you? That's what we should seek after. And Paul was filled with the Spirit. And so he preached with great power. But not everybody applauded. Let's go back to the narrative, verse 23 in Acts 9. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They they couldn't refute his, his claims about Jesus, so they just decided to kill him. Really spiritual people, right? They wanted to murder him because he was showing clearly from Old Testament prophecy Jesus was the Messiah. Now, here's a a principle that's still true in your life and mine as well as Paul's. Faithfulness to Christ will bring opposition. Hopefully, it won't be that somebody will want to murder you. Hopefully not. But let me tell you, if you are faithful to Christ, if you're not ashamed of Christ, if you speak even with grace and love and compassion for other people, there's going to be some people who won't like it. They won't like you. They will write you off as some religious fanatic who ought to mind their own business and keep their religion to themselves. And I believe every Christ follower comes to a point of decision somewhere in their faith journey of following Christ. And it's this, we must decide if pleasing Him is more important to us than pleasing people. Because you really can't do both. One has to be first and the other will be somewhere else down the line. And some Christians are unwilling to speak of their faith because they're afraid of what people will think. By the way, I mentioned Caleb Dressel at the beginning of the, of the sermon that he won five gold medals. He also gave a strong testimony for Christ. Not ashamed. So look at how, how this played out in Saul's life. Verse 24, They, meaning the Jews that wanted to kill him, they were watching him day and night at the city gates so that they could murder him, watching for him, I should have said. But Saul was told about their plot. So, verse 25, during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Do you get the scene? Can you imagine Just days before, he had been a Pharisee. He had been one of the leaders of the opposition movement against the way as Christianity was known. And now, he is attempting a clandestine escape in the dark of night to run for his very life. 
and he went to Jerusalem. Let's see what happened there. Verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. This was a big problem. He was at a crossroads in his ministry. He desperately needed the the friendship, the support, the partnership of those believers, especially the apostles in Jerusalem, to continue his work. He was at a crisis. But as he always does, God had a plan. Verse 27 Then Barnabas brought him, meaning Saul, to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He, Barnabas, also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Just at the right time, Barnabas showed up. By the way, he's known as the son of encouragement. Barnabas showed up to put his arm around Saul and go to the apostles, to the apostles, maybe the impossibles, I don't know, the apostles, and vouch for Saul and say, he's for real. We need to lock arms with him as we spread the gospel. Here's here's what I think this story says at this point to us. If you're a faithful witness for Christ, he will send the right people at the right time to encourage you. He will. By the way, some of you have been that for your pastor at various times. Every pastor needs encouragement. Every person needs encouragement. And I've been amazed in the decades I've served as your pastor how God would send some of you at various times not knowing what was going on in my heart and life. God would send you at the right time with encouraging words. And that's not just for pastors. (laughs) That's for all of us. God used the influence and support of Barnabas to open the door for Saul for transformational ministry that is still impacting the world 20 centuries later. 20 centuries later. So the story continues, verse 28. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He was invading the darkness with the light of the gospel. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. Do you see a pattern here? They tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, They took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. Now here's something you may not know. Scholars believe that that Paul was back in his hometown of Tarsus for possibly as much as a decade. And we have no record of his activity or his life during those years. But here's something I think is a pretty safe bet if I were a betting Baptist. He was proclaiming the gospel in Tarsus. People that had watched him grow up were hearing the words of a transformed man, a new man with a new message. 
and he reappears in the narrative of the early church in the book of Acts again in Acts 11. We'll see that later on in the series. And then I wrap up our, our episode for today, verse 31. Then the church had peace throughout Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. And we close the curtain on this episode of Paul's life. So before we're done, what can we learn from this? What are the life lessons of this new person in Christ who was Saul and would become the Apostle Paul? Well, let me share two or three quickly. Here's the first one. Every Christ follower must decide whether to be an undercover Christian or a faithful witness. An undercover Christian. You know, there are a lot of those around. And they forget this passage from the Gospel of Matthew. After Jesus' resurrection, after he was seen by hundreds of witnesses, he spoke these words in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We commonly refer to it as the Great Commission. Verse 18 of Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I think every one of us, you and I, We have to ask ourselves, do we want to live as if our faith is private and secret? It's just not something we talk about except maybe in church. Or are we going to be great commission Christ followers? Not obnoxious fanatics, but people who are willing to live for and speak for Christ at every opportunity the Holy Spirit gives to us. Are we going to be Great Commission Christ followers who are not ashamed of the Gospel? By the way, I seem to remember Jesus saying, if you're ashamed of me here on earth, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. That ought to motivate us. Here's another life lesson. To be who God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must. Now, let's be clear. If you are a Christ follower, if you have stepped across the line of faith, if you have believed in Jesus, you've declared that faith by believer's baptism, you began a journey of following Christ that we all lived imperfectly, but hopefully faithfully. If you are a Christ follower, the moment that He came into your heart, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. So you have the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen out of a bunch of bad? You have the Holy Spirit. The question is not, do you have the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? Does He have you? 
Because you see, He cannot fill you if you're filled with yourself. We cannot be filled with ourselves and what we want and what we think and what our opinions are and what our desires are and what our plans are and still be filled with the Holy Spirit. When, when we give up ourselves, Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, you must give up your life and follow me. And, and he actually meant that. And so to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's, you know, we tend to make things so complicated. And some churches, they have courses and exercises and, and some even try to teach people how to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One church I heard, they tried to get people, just start saying Albuquerque over and over and over. That's foolishness. I'm sorry. Is that too blunt? That's foolishness. You want to know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Pretty simple. Confess known sin in your life to Him and receive His forgiveness. If there's something that's a barrier between you and the Lord that is blocking the flow of His power in your life, confess that. Because if you're unwilling to confess it, whatever that is has become more important to you than He is. So, and I'm not talking about the little sins. We all got a bucket full of them, don't we? I'm talking about some major issue that you know is not right before God, but you're continuing it. And if there's something like that, and I pray there's not in any of our lives, but if there is, you have to deal with with the Lord on that first. And then when you do, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with a surrendered heart, you just say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill my heart, fill my mind, fill my will. Fill me. And and let me let you in on something. That's not something you do once and check it off the list. Okay, done that. What's next? That is an everyday and sometimes moment by moment issue in the life of a Christ follower. And and I don't mean to make light of this or, or be humorous in an inappropriate way, but sometimes we leak. The Holy Spirit fills us, but we we begin to let other things come in and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit just kind of fades away. It needs to be every day. Moment by moment. When we say, Lord, empty myself of me and fill me with You. And you know what? God doesn't play games with us. He wants to fill His people with His Spirit. And if you're going to be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do, you can't do it on your own. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. One more life lesson. Just as God sent Barnabas believers into your life, you need to be that kind of encourager to others. What do you mean Barnabas believers? When I was talking about how God has sent some of you at at moments in which I needed to be encouraged, haven't you had people like that in your life? People who came to you and they didn't even know what was going on, but God led them to you to encourage you and to lift you up. They are a Barnabas believer to you. You need to be a Barnabas believer to others. 
You need to speak words of encouragement to people that you just pass in life, whether it's a server at a restaurant or, or a, a person who's checking you out at the grocery store, just people that you pay. You need to speak words of encouragement. But then there are people that you need to, to do a deeper investment in. There are people that you, you need to become a Barnabas for them. And it could change their life. And the blessing that they get will not be as great as the blessing that you get. Because friends, there's nothing better than being used by God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the life and story of Saul who became Paul, that great apostle that was at the center of your activity, a beginning of movement that is still going strong today. And Lord, the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. The pandemic will not kill it. Financial difficulties will not kill it. In fact, Lord, even if the numbers of people that are going to your churches might not be as much. Sometimes, Lord, you draw your people in to strengthen them. And so I pray that you would help us to know that we are a part of the greatest organization with the greatest mission on the face of planet Earth, the Church of Jesus Christ. Make us not country club members with our feet up, drinking iced tea. Help us instead to be valiant warriors, messengers of the Great Commission, ambassadors for Christ. Thank you for my brothers and sisters with whom I as a pastor have linked arms all these many years and Lord, you're not done with us yet. We will continue to charge the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not in our own strength, but in the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.